From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. My name is Shelley Jodwin, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news from across Canada and around the world. This month marks a year since a wildfire tour through Alberta's northern community of Fort McMurray. This fire is now known as the costliest natural disaster in Canadian history, and the news has been consumed lately with reflections on the implications of the fire. We're hearing stories about the process of rebuilding the city and the government's efforts to improve their response to the disaster. This week, we've got an archive piece hosted and produced by Terra Informa alumni Chris Changyan Phillips and Trevor Chow Fraser in the days following the evacuation. We'll hear firsthand accounts of people who had to flee and meet people who have opened up their hearts and wallets to help. We'll also hear some analysis on the climate change context from a University of Alberta wildlife expert. Well, we want to bring you today the stories collected by CJSR volunteers in the days immediately after the evacuation. We have stories about the folks who've been affected by the fire and the Edmontonians offering their support. We'll hear from an instructor at Keanu College who had to flee Fort McMurray only a day after she arrived. We'll visit a pancake breakfast fundraiser and hear from an Edmontonian with a big heart and a pickup full of pet food. We also have some analysis on the climate change context around this wildfire. So stay tuned to Terraforma for what I'm sure will be more personal take on the story you've probably been hearing a lot about. Many of us in Edmonton have family and friends directly in the path of the Fort McMurray wildfire. To start today, CJSR Radio's own Pat McIlveen has this story about his parents' escape from the fire. Hi, my name is Lees. And I'm Jim. Just as a quick intro, uh, how long have you guys been living in Fort McMurray for? Uh, I got there in 1982. And Jim got there in 1981. Okay, so the the better part of three and a half decades. Uh, Lees, when everything was going down uh, on Tuesday, you were at the evacuation center you know, ahead of time, correct? At the beginning, yes. I had just come back from the uh, gas station, just filled up the tank, not knowing that we were going to be asked to evacuate to Mac Island. Okay. And when I got home, that's when Jim informed me that we were given an evacuation, mandatory evacuation order, packed up quickly, headed down to Mac Island. But I thought we were going to be told to go back home and to uh, wait for a permanent evacuation. So we uh, headed for the McDonald Island Evacuation Centre. Uh, it was approximately 5.30. Uh, we expected to uh, do some volunteer work there. Uh, I was mm-hmm. in as one of the first aid assisting. Okay. And uh, uh, that same expectation carried on over to uh, the Anzac Evacuation Center when we got moved. Once the uh, once the mandatory evacuation was called, how did the atmosphere change? Uh, all of the uh, people that had uh, been checked in at Mac Island uh, were a little bit surprised uh, when they uh, realized that access to Mac Island was at risk. That they mm-hmm. uh, 
had everybody loaded up on the buses at about 8.30 p.m. Uh, now, Jim, as a longtime employee of the municipality and part of the municipal operations team, in the run-up to Tuesday, was it at all different or was it just seeming business as usual? Monday afternoon, the smoke had been blowing into town and things calmed down overnight. Tuesday mm-hmm. morning looked bright and clear and the smoke was going uh, in the other direction or was just being held down. Mm-hmm. And so everybody thought uh, things had been addressed. And uh, wildfire being what it is, uh, reacted very uh, quickly and uh, surprised uh, most of the residents that mm-hmm. something was actually happening. Uh, Basically, though, it, it, it just caught everyone off guard. They, there wasn't an air of, let's get ready to get the hell out of town, basically. Uh, and that's just it. Uh, it caught uh, the mass uh, of the population by surprise mm-hmm. that it was coming that close, that quick, and that intense. Uh, the Mac Island Centre was given notice at about 8.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got out on the road uh, almost right off the start because we had uh, equipment uh, for doing the first aid services with us. Okay. Unfortunately, it was a surprise on the way uh, getting there because okay. rather than the usual 40 minutes that it would take to get to Anzac, mm-hmm. it took us uh, approximately two and a half hours. How many people would you say were there at the, at the peak? Well over a thousand. Obviously people who would have been on buses who were no vehicles or did not have access to their vehicle given the circumstances. So it, was, it wasn't the grand majority of people then. No. And in heading out, um, did you guys have to drive through any fires or? We were actually uh, moved out. Uh, before it became that risky. Okay. The worst we had was uh, going through the downtown area. Okay. Uh, the fire was like along the on highway? the Abisand slope, and uh, it wasn't burning hard uh, when we were going by, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was still uh, noticeable flames, mm-hmm. and uh, it brought the reality home. I, I know it's really early to say, but... Uh, do you see the city uh, rebuilding to the same scale? Do you see it? Um, do you, Do you see it bouncing back to what it was before? It will probably take a be on a paced basis mm-hmm. with the price of oil as it is. Yeah, but uh, I do see uh, the rebuilding uh, coming up, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, uh, I think it still looks optimistic okay. uh, for the city. Okay. Fort McMurray, maybe not to those outside of the city, but to those who live there and to those who have lived there in the past in town, not necessarily in the work camps, there's a huge community, there's volunteers left, right, and center. And coming to Edmonton, did you expect to see the outpouring of support that you you have? I was amazed. Mm-hmm. Um, people all along the way, there were trucks with uh, lots and lots of bottled water mm-hmm. that they were handing out. Uh, there were some oil trucks. Mm-hmm. We saw uh, one guy with a flatbed with jerry cans. Okay. And they were refusing payment. It's amazing the amount of generosity people have had mm-hmm. uh, towards us. Like, I understand there's some restaurants here mm-hmm. that are um, giving free meals. Mm-hmm. One- and that's the spirit of 
Alberta, Edmontonians and Alberta for that matter. Mm -hmm. And now with all across the country, with mm -hmm. everybody that's providing firefighters. Mm -hmm. And this is amazing how it is. Mm -hmm. Thanks to Pat McKilvin and his parents, Lise and Jim, for sharing that story. You're listening to Terranforma on community radio across Canada. Well, plenty of Edmontonians have been out to offer whatever crisis-level support they can for people who've been evacuated from Fort McMurray. Sky Heinemann and I were out today for the Pancake Breakfast Fundraiser being put on by the Edmonton Economic Development Corporation. Uh, it was five bucks a pop, all to raise money for the Canadian Red Cross. 5,000 people came out which was kind of crazy. And uh, Sky joins us now in studio to share a little bit about what that event was like. Hi, Sky. Hi. So like you said, um, Chris and I, we went out into the crowd and, uh, you know, donated our $5 each and lined up for pancakes. And when we were doing that, we did a little bit of celebrity spotting, a few familiar faces. Ron Ambrose, the conservative leader, is making pancakes too. Oh, and there's Randy Bossano cooking too. Randy Bossano. <laughs> wow, it's like I wouldn't know them on site. So, I mean, I'm a little starstruck. It's all happening so fast for me. Oh yeah, there's Andrew Ferrance cooking too. <laughs> In the with the blue long sleeves. This is my favorite thing. You're just pointing out people and I mean, trying to remember where their names are from. This is really. So uh, that was a little bit of celebrity spotting in the lineup. In general, spirits were high. Um, people were very cheerful, happy to be dining with their families, their friends, their co-workers in the sun. Um, we ran into exclusively Edmontonians at the breakfast, actually. Um, and one of them was Jackie, who was there with her two kids. And this is what she said about being there on that day to support people from Fort McMurray. Well, number one, as Albertans, we want to make sure that we support our local folks. Even though they're from the north, we're all here for them. And we know that uh, they've gone through so, so much. And we've got a lot to give if it's our time, our money, and certainly our support. Um, it's a great morning for Edmonton and Edmontonians to pop out and have a little breakfast here and, you know, throw $5 each at uh, the I Red Cross. I just have a house guest right now who is... Uh, was at another home. She has a new job here in Edmonton, and uh, that household just got filled up with Fort McMorry family. So she's popped over to my place for uh, a few days to make room for, I believe, seven men that were up in camp. They were up in camp, so uh, they made their way down, I think, uh, overnight around 2 in the morning, and now uh, I believe that uh, they're all housed in one house and, and uh, at least have some shelter. Yeah, and must all be fairly exhausted from the journey and the and the experiences that they've had. You've obviously seen a lot of the video. We're talking on the radio right now, but uh, you've obviously seen a lot of video of the firewalls that these folks have been driving through. I can't even imagine with a car full of kids and family or, or colleagues, uh, friends, having to battle through that. That was, uh, that's Armageddon. Yeah. Squeeze your kids a little bit tighter because they... You know, they were in dire straits. They packed the car up. They had five minutes to grab what they could with their kids, with their dogs, and nothing's guaranteed, but boy, we're, uh, we're lucky to be here and support, and um, I wish I could do more. I hope to do more. Okay, so next we headed out of the pancake breakfast, um, and we journeyed to Northlands, where many of the evacuees are being housed and provided for. Um, 
by uh, facilities, but also by private citizens. One of them, Mike Cosby, who had a whole truck filled up with pet food. And here's what he had to see, say about that. Uh, my name is Mike Crosby. Um, I just uh, obviously seen everything going on with the issues up in Fort Mac and uh, came into Northlands here yesterday just to see what I could do if I could get some clothes for babies or food or whatever. And uh, the one thing kind of pressing that I saw was there was dogs and cats and pets everywhere. Uh, uh, I didn't see anything for the pets. so. Um, went and dropped uh well bought a whole bunch of dog food yesterday made up little kits so got some treats in there uh pooper scooper bags food <laughs> large breed small breed for the dogs um this is like a ziploc baggie so you put this all together yourself yeah yeah and then so, so this what is what we were handing out yesterday when they come up here to to grab some food for their pets you know a lot of some people are obviously a handshake and a hug uh, you've seen the guy just come up he didn't even need anything um some people yesterday weren't even able to talk really they would come up and you could just see you know they're starting to well up and so i just hand them off with whatever I can and, and let them go. So, But the response has been unbelievable. What really impressed me a lot too, um, there was volunteers here yesterday who had their pets. And so I would go to them and be like, you know, hey, take a bag. And they're like, no, no, we're we're okay, we're good. Uh, we're set up, give yeah, it to the people. Been, it's been it. outstanding. So hopefully can do more today. I've heard there's more rolling in, so yeah. So, so how many pets did you guys see down there? Well, because we were outside, we were waiting outside for another interview, uh, we saw, I mean, a lot of dog walkers, of course, because that's who you see outside. Um, so it seemed to be a lot of pets, a lot of small dogs, a lot of people clutching their dogs, too, and carrying them around. Um, there's kind of this feeling that people were carrying around the things that were dearest to them. And that's it, yeah. you know, that's all they had. No catwalkers. Yeah, and, you know, was, the tensions, there was a lot of emotional tension, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but people were also very grateful and relieved uh, to feel you know, provided for and protected and to have these services in this time of crisis. And we ran into a couple, actually, who had a couple of dogs and got some food from the back of Dave's truck, and they talked to us about the their of escape. Truck, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they talked, yeah. Yeah, and they talked to us about their escape, kind of, from Fort McMurray. <laughs> there you go. You guys are, you got some dogs with you? We got two Never. dogs. Yeah? We're sure pays our girls. <laughs> Beautiful. We got a cube van. It's now become our RV. It's an old work truck, eh? Yeah. So we threw the dogs and a change of clothes in, and we're making it home. I'm Chris. I'm from CJSR. I I'm Danielle. To explain why we have a, a microphone. Hi, Danielle. <laughs> okay. And sorry. Monica. Monica. Yeah. I'm glad you guys got your pets out. That's. Yeah, yeah we, we wouldn't uh, be going without no them. No way. No, I, pets are just part of the family. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. How quickly did you have to move out? Uh, we were working actually in one area when, uh, called Abbasan, where it's, uh, and uh, it's like we went out almost out for, the, for lunch and suddenly it just came out like, wow. We were going to go to another job and we looked at the sky and he, holy, what's going it, on, it, eh? It was uh, like the calm before the, the storm, like we say. It was all calm in the morning after uh, around noon. It started, it didn't take long. After an hour, boom. Yeah, it's the the sky was so black and gray and it's unbelievable. It's uh, explained. You have to 
be there. And on our way it's home like was a the movie. Centennial Trailer Court. That's We watched that burn and the propane tanks booming and banging. And we left when the embers, the burning embers started at us. And then the fire jumped to the, over the highway. And we're watching all these vehicles coming through and the flames and the smoke. You could barely see them. And we were hoping they didn't start on fire as they were trying to go through. Hard to breathe. Then we went home and the police got a hold of us and said, you're getting out of here. So we had no time to, we packed such a little bit of stuff, a little bag, because our suitcase was stuck. We couldn't even get it out because it was packed into stuff. Yep. So we got like little overnight bags and that was it. That's it. So that was it. we had a Q van. good reception here? You know what? It's amazing. I cannot, I always say we would never have a New Orleans situation in Canada because we all look after each other. We're doers. We clean up after ourselves. We we work it out. You're listening to Terran Forma. Today we're sharing stories from the Fort McMurray wildfire. Next up, joining Chris and me in studio, we have Laura Roberts, an instructor at Keanu College. She basically got to Fort McMurray last week and had to turn right around immediately. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Laura, you'd, you'd been away from work for a while. Um, you got back to Fort Mac on Sunday, um, and then they told you to turn around, so tell us about the U-turn. Yeah, so I, um, I drove up on Sunday, and I thought I was starting work on Monday, normal day, and uh, on my way up, I did see one fire um, right when I just got into town. There was a small fire that was uh, to the left of the highway, but I thought it was a fire that they were going to, you know, get under control and it was going to be fine. And then I, um, I uh, was moving back into my place and wanted to hang out with some friends. And I texted one of my coworkers and asked if she wanted to go to the pool. And she said, no, Laura, I could be evacuated any minute. And I said, what do you mean? She said that fire that was by the airport is um, encroaching and it's getting really close to where we live. So then it kind of got, you know, a little more serious. Then the next day, I went to work. I had my first day back to work after um, I'd been gone for about a year and a bit. And um, and she said she was still evacuated, this friend of mine. And OK, so this seems a little more serious. And But it seemed, again, like things were going to, they were under control and that, you know, the crews were out there. And then the next day, I um, I I got out of my place middle of the afternoon. It, I mean, when I woke up, it was blue sky. It looked like, again, everything was fine. This is this is Tuesday? Yeah, this is Tuesday morning. It looked like everything was fine. And then within like a half hour window, all of a sudden, things totally changed. And when we walked outside and we looked up in the sky, there were huge flames like way up in the whole the, the hills were on fire <laughs> behind and we're in the valley I live um, downtown in Fort McMurray and uh, Fort McMurray is surrounded by all hills all around on all sides and the hills were literally on fire and there were this there, were, there was this huge cloud of smoke that was coming down and I remember me and my roommate we looked at each other and we're like this does not look good <laughs> and we're like we better uh, we better pack up and uh, and get out of here and so we uh, were getting other friends together and and we um, 
first we were going to go to another part of, of town, and um, and then eventually I I just left um, and and went on my own because everybody was kind of you know panic and yeah. packing whatever you could to put in your car and and leave town. And I was leaving by myself, and I picked up two people that were on the side of the the main street, and they were just walking with their all their belongings in you know suitcases. And I asked if they needed a ride to the evacuation center. They said, "Yeah." So they hopped in, and with all of my stuff, we had to kind of move things around, but uh, we had space for them. And uh, yeah, once we got onto the highway, it was it was a mass exodus. It was. You know, car to car, bumper to bumper, um, tons. It just like as far as you could see, there were cars leaving Fort McMurray, and uh, I think the distance normally would be about an hour to get to where we got to. Um, but it took us about four hours or four or five hours. I, the t- yeah. time is a little bit. I'm not yeah. too sure. It was a bit of a blur yeah. how it all went down. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> And so now you've made it to Edmonton. Uh, do you have safe housing now here? Yeah, I do. I, um, I'm, I'm back at home and because um, I was here for the last year and a bit when I, when I got sick. And I, I came back to Edmonton because that's where born and raised and that's where I have a lot of family and friends. And uh, so I'm, I'm all right. And I, we're actually, we've been hosting people. There's been a constant sort of uh, sea of people coming in. And we, so we've been trying to um, accommodate the different needs that people have been, cool. you know, reaching out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you work at Kiana College. Mm-hmm. Today, the U of A, Nate, and four other post-secondary institutions announced they're going to try and find ways to support affected students by the wildfires across the province. That's so awesome. What's going on through your mind when you think about your students at Kiana College? Well, that's just it. I, I'm, I've been, um, I mean, I've been, I think I've been in shock the last couple of days, and um, today, I started reaching out to a lot of a lot more um, friends that I know, and I and I wanted to, before coming to this interview to go down to Northlands um, because I'm sure that I have students there at um, at the evacuation center, and I wanted to reach out to them and and f- hopefully maybe find some accommodation for them um, because I know that it can't be easy to be living you know full time at mm-hmm. Northlands. Uh, when you're used to having your own home, and that's I, I can't even imagine you know what's going through a lot of people's minds right now. So I, I'm really glad that that's um, those measures are being taken, and so that our students will be taken care of, um, because I I love my students, and I we have some of the best students um, up there, really um, eager, you know, uh, curious awesome students and and I've actually really missed them and today was supposed to be graduation and that's why actually I started back this week because I thought that would be um, a really great time to come back and and uh, see all my students and congratulate them on um, their studies so if you're listening congratulations (laughs) I loved having you in class (laughs) and um, I hope to see you in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like they're lucky to have you as their instructor, and yeah. I'm glad that you're safe here in Edmonton, and I hope they all are too. Yeah, I do too. All right. Thanks so much for joining us in studio, Laura. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
You're listening to Terra Informa, environmental news on community radio across the country and as a podcast on iTunes. And for many of us, I know that along with the shock of this human disaster, we're also thinking about how climate change might be lurking behind the scenes. To tell us more about how wildfires fit into a climate change context, CGSR Radio's Sky Hindman spoke to University of Alberta researcher Dr. Mike Flanagan. Here's a bit of their conversation. I am Mike Flanagan. I am a professor of wildland fire at the University of Alberta. I am also the director of the Western Partnership for Wildland Fire Science. Yes, it's a mouthful. <laughs> and uh, now I'm just going to jump right in and ask the tough questions about the most recent wildland fire um, that is currently sweeping Alberta. Uh, is it fair, do you think, to project a narrative of global climate change onto a single event? Not really, no. I, and I don't like to identify a single event as a being a result of climate change. Now, what I will say is that it's consistent with what we expect with climate change. Uh, extreme fire behavior, high-intensity fire, that's what we expect. But I won't say that the Fort McMurray fire is a direct result of climate change. However, in Canada, our area burned has doubled since the early 70s, and I believe this is a result of human-caused climate change, so that we're seeing more fire in the landscape, more severe fire, higher-intensity fires. So that's what we expect with climate change. And uh, why is it that we cannot make direct relations between single incidents and climate change? Okay, I'll give you an example, and this is just for illustrative purposes. Let's say under a natural regime with no climate change, no human-caused climate change, because climate change is operating all the time, climate is dynamic, but under no human influences, let's say in a year in something like the size of Alberta, we get 10 severe fires, okay? With climate change, let's say we get 15 severe fires. But which of those 15 would have been natural and which one are a direct result of climate change? It's hard for us to say, hey, that fire is directly because of human-caused climate change. And that's where the difficulty lies. Right. Just because there's, there's randomness in weather patterns and it's picking patterns out of the noise, I guess. Exactly. Which makes it difficult. Yeah. I, I wanted also to ask, is there a way that we can respond collectively or... Can we respond collectively to this kind of environmental threat? Well, we can't do anything about the weather. That's one of the ingredients. We can't do anything about lightning. Uh, that's part of the ignition factor. But we can do things about human-caused fires. And, you know, this Fort McMurray fire is probably human-caused. But fire management agencies do a pretty good job in terms of education and prevention activities. Alberta is under fire restrictions right now. Um, and the, those are tools that they use. The biggest change we can make is the fuels. And there's, by changing the fuels around structures like homes and around communities like Fort McMurray, um, we can reduce the risk of fire. So I'm talking about fuels in the wildland. Okay? okay. So conifers are very flammable. Right. And promote crown fires. That's the fires that involve the crowns of the trees. And if your listeners have seen any of the videos coming out of Fort McMurray, they've seen these huge flames coming, you know, burning the tops of the trees and beyond, that's a crown fire. Um, if you have deciduous trees, crown fires are very unlikely 
as compared to conifers. So you remove the conifers close to town and you reduce the fire risk greatly. Even if fires do come through, they'll be lower intensity so that fire management agencies can put them out. When you see a crown fire like we saw in some of the videos, even aerial attack does not slow that fire down. It's just too hot, too intense. So with respect to structures, um, using building materials that aren't made of wood, uh, like shingle roofs, uh, keep, keeping needles off your roof, like pine needles that fall on your roof and collect, because burning embers, and some of those videos showed kind of raining burning embers. Those embers can be carried by the wind up to two kilometers in advance of the fire. If it finds a spot to burn, it'll burn. So keep flammable material away from the sides of the house. It's called defensible space. So don't stack your firewood beside the house. Don't have shrubs, conifer shrubs right beside your house. Things like that so that you can help reduce the risk of fire for your house. Thanks to Chris Chengyan Phillips and Trevor Chowfraser for that story. That's all the time we have for this week's show. If you have questions or comments, send us an email to tara at cjsr.com or tweet it at terrainforma. Visit us at terrainforma.ca and subscribe on iTunes. Thank you to this week's contributors from CJSR Radio, Sky Heineman, Marco Visconti, and Pat McGilveen. The show was originally produced and hosted by Chris Chengyan Phillips and Trevor Chowfraser. Thanks also to this week's Terra Informers, Amanda Rooney, Charlie Blay, and Andrea Gallivan. I've been your host, Shelley Jodwin. Catch you next week.